people are just going to be like, what, how is this over? I need to run this back. Um... <laughs> Hello and welcome to the ANA Marketing Futures Podcast, member of the ANA Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mike Burbridge. Artificial intelligence word generation is one of the newest developments that are shaking up how many marketers approach their business. Don't believe me? Well, consider the fact that I didn't write that last sentence. An algorithm did. My guest today is Katrin Rybant, CEO of Multifactorial, an angel investor to the AI platform AnyWord. Katrin and I discussed how the platform was trained and took a behind-the-scenes look at how it works. We also discussed what new advancements could come on the back of AI voice generation and the threat of inherent bias in AI systems. Everyone, today is a very, very special day in the ANA Marketing Futures Virtual Podcast Studio. We always have brilliant minds coming through here and really great people that are telling really great stories. But it's very rare when I can bring on uh, a dear friend of mine for, as she just reminded me before recording began, for 15 years, uh, the one, the only, Katrin Rybant is on the Marketing Futures <laughs> podcast. Let's go, Katrin. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me, Mike. Yeah, 15 years. We're not young anymore, as I pointed out. <laughs> Can't believe it. I was going to leave that off the pod, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Got to be fine. honest about these things. Yes, My so um, thank you so much for having me. It's a joy and an honor. See, now I'm getting giddy. I need to calm down. I need to keep it professional. Uh, but we're about to just have a great episode. I'm just calling it. I'm calling our shot. Um, so we're about to jump into the world of AI and a lot more. I feel like we're going to cover a lot of ground today. But before we do, I want to set a baseline. I want to uh, get my listeners as uh, fortunate as I am to know you. Tell them a little bit about yourself and how your journey uh, led you to become an angel investor in some really exciting companies. Um, so I, uh, I'm Belgian. Uh, I uh, started my career in, uh, you know, in the media technology field in uh, uh, one of the largest uh, agency group called Havas, which is where obviously you and I met and worked together mm -hmm. for, uh, for quite a while. Um, at Havas, I was managing the technology platforms, which, I mean, basically that would be what we would today call a DMP, except at the time we didn't have a name for it. And that's mm -hmm. how old this is. Um, and then uh, I left Havas and I co-founded a company called Datarama with two co-founders. That was a company that operated in the data and analytics space. Uh, we uh, sold to Salesforce in 2018. I stayed on for a few years and then I left Salesforce and I am now fortunate enough to uh, follow my passion and uh, um, invest in uh, early stage startups, um, kind of mostly uh, what I really focus in is, is um, startups that are in the space of either data, big data, anything big data, um, or marketing, everything in between, everything kind of on the fringes, and preferably with a strong AI slant. That's just so cool. So at our time together at Havas, uh, you were covering, as you said, the tech platforms, which covers a whole lot of areas. And we were talking about attribution at a certain point and just covering a, 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 an ocean's worth of marketing and media expertise. 
So with all the different areas you've been active in throughout your career, what attracted you to the AI language generation space in particular? Because that's one of the things we're going to talk about. And we're going to take do a little bit of a deep dive into why AI uh, language generation of all of the things that you've kind of had a, a taste of. Well, I would say that for me is a little bit of a mix of reasonable technology-led investment uh, uh, thinking and passion. Uh, as you very well know, uh, one of the things we share is a passion for writing um, and songwriting. Um, and um, and so I've always been really fascinated by writing, um, also writing in different languages. Obviously, as you can hear, English is not my first language. And there is a, there is really something absolutely fascinating when you speak several languages about understanding how certain things are expressed in certain cultures and languages with words that don't even necessarily translate directly into other languages. And I mean, it's just a, an, a universe that's always been absolutely fascinating to me. And the fact that we are at this stage in the development of the technology at a point where we can actually have an AI engine that generates language that is undistinguishable from human language is just not something I could pass up on. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's 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 interesting to see that space evolve to where at the beginning it was like, oh, wow, it it can kind of, it made a sentence to like, wow, that's nuanced. Like that's a very snarky algorithm you've put together. Like it is really crazy to see what it po what is possible out there. Oh, I know. It used to be like you would look at it like a toddler and go like, oh, boo-boo, you made a sentence. That's so cute. <laughs> and they kind of make sense. And now you're yeah. like, oh, I told you some context three words about what I want to talk about. And you are generating a paragraph that no one in their right mind could honestly say wasn't written by a human being. And sometimes it's like, oh, it's actually quite clever what you just said here. Yeah. And and let's go into one of these platforms in, in particular. Uh, one of the companies that you're working with is called AnyWord. And I actually got a chance to, to go in there and just play around with, you know, some topical areas. And do you want a, a blog post? Do you want an essay? And it like to your to your point, it is wild what is possible today. So, um, you know, without giving away any of the, the secret sauce, can you tell us a little bit about how any word works? Like how it was trained, like every AI, you know, needs to be trained up on something. And, and what method is it using to generate writing? Sure. Well, you know, maybe before I go into that, let me tell you why I got interested in any word in particular in this space. Please. Um, this is more of, you know, like the the reasonable kind of like, you know, why I think this this was a good idea generally as a space to uh, uh, to look at. I think that um, for the average marketer today, writing ads, writing a lot of copy for ads, writing content are two kind of, you know, pendants of what you have to do as a, as a marketer. A lot of your activity is, uh, is really focused on that. And um, this is an area that is very human-driven, obviously. Humans write ads, write content, and judge, based on their experience, what they think is going to be effective for a certain audience, for a certain space, for a certain product. And that is, you know, 
that is based on their own experience. And one of the things that I've always done throughout my career is revolutionize the way a certain space is working based on use, the usage of data. And so turning copywriting into data-driven copywriting, that changes fundamentally the way mm. you look at uh, your marketing copywriting and the way you look at ex like strategizing and executing on that space. So I felt like that is, you know, it's one of the things where time to market is really important. It's one of the things mm -hmm. where given the recent leap in the technology, and we can talk more about those if you want, right? I don't want to bore people with those things. This you audience know, loves it. Oh, great. Well, well, I mean, I, I, we can talk about that in a, in a minute. Given the, the very recent, like two years, the last two years, the leaps in the technology in AI-generated text as in general, right? Those leaps have been so important that you can clearly see, at least I think I can clearly see, the complete revolutionizing of the uh, copywriter's kind of work and how that's going to be looked at as a standard in the next two to three years. In the next two to three years, nobody is going to look, look at copywriting, at writing content, writing ads without having some sort of help from an AI, an AI generator and so some sort of idea about how is this going to perform? Because obviously, if you have a platform, that's something that becomes possible. And, you know, yeah. so when I looked at the space, any word specifically has been in the in this space for nine years, uh, which is very, very, very long. You know, I was going to say in AI years, in this yes, kind of tech years. That is like... very long. And, and so they have a very large amount of data about what engages and what doesn't engage. Very solid data. And so on top of having their own engine, their own model, they, you know, they also have their own ability to predict what is going to be engaging for what type of audience, for what type of context, et cetera, et cetera. And that to me is the key point. That's what drives the copywriter from being a copywriter to a data-driven copywriter. Yeah, it almost becomes like an editor's desk where the AI is doing kind of a lot of the grunt work and like the, the copywriter then begins, you know, kind of becomes more of a curator uh, than anything. Becomes a curator, becomes a, obviously a selector, become, be, and, and also gets, you know, gets knowledge about what, what is susceptible to work better or not. And I know these are like, some very precise things such as, you know, for a certain type of content, let's say you, you let's let's take two complete opposite in the continuum. Let's say you, you write about celebrities on one hand and then you write about finance on the other hand, right? Very mm -hmm. opposite kind of like remits of, uh, of what you can write about. So let's imagine you write, say, Facebook ads. What is the ideal length of your ad copy? in function of your context, in function of your audience. Well, look at, looking at the data, you can actually see that obviously very short, you know, very, very short titles perform best if you can carry enough meaning. If you start having to, to make an a longer explanation about what you do, there is an ideal length for celebrity content type, for finance content type, they're different. And they depend really on how tolerant we are about, uh, you know, how much time it will take us 
to understand is this relevant to me or not? And the engine knows what that is because it knows it based on data. No human being can know that based on their experience. Right. Yeah, and there's so many, and and there's been so many rules. You know what I mean? Like when you just said, like, it, the rule wasn't keep it short unless you can't convey meaning. It was always just keep it short, keep it short, keep it short. Yes. I remember when I started this podcast, one of my first guests was like, "You should really keep these to five minutes. Nobody's gonna because they were in that <laughs> keep it short. Nobody has a, right. a, a, a an attention span thing. But it's like you can't just copy paste one rule across platforms and across verticals and across. Uh, intentions and outcomes you hope to drive and, and hope that that does something. So this you kind of, yeah. You really can't. And, you know, you had, and uh, people today, we all have to kind of work that out for ourselves. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have enough data so we would know, well, for the type of things that I'm trying to do, this is probably the ballpark where I should be if I have a certain depth of content. Uh, we, you talked about it a little, but I'd like to just kind of go a little bit deeper into it. What role do you see for copywriters in the future? Uh, now, obviously, no company would be well advised to just flip on any word, call it a day, and just let them post directly nope. to the internet and, you know, have a nice long summer. So where do these, what are the copywriters in the future? Because we, it, it, it's happening in, in a lot of different areas where people are scared about AI replacing jobs, but something needs, someone needs to manage the AI. So in the copywriting and language generation feature, how do you see that kind of management? What role do you see the, the copy players being able to, or copywriters being able to play? I think that the reality of um, work, let's take, let's take the copywriting remit, but I think it's actually, it's actually true of, of a lot of remits. The reality is that given the expansion of the demand for content and this kind of work, there simply aren't enough people who do this and who do this well, this is not something that you improvise and learn in uh, three weeks. You know, these are, these are jobs that require, uh, you know, a certain amount of talent, first of all, like an affinity for language, uh, a taste for it, um, and, uh, and then experience in the particular remits that you are going to copyright for because they're all very, very specific and very specialized. If you start being competitive in one of those remits, it becomes very quickly very specialized. And so having a machine that helps you uh, kind of do what I would say the 80%, the groundwork of ideation, generation, um, so that you have enough material that you can then filter and say, okay, this one, that one, those two together, that's I'm I'm going to you know and this time I'm going to choose to go against the machine because I have another opinion that's what I do and you know this is what we want to do in in the, you only a human can know what the strategy is so you that's you really override you 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 overwrite what the data tells you when you have a good reason for it I mean that amount of context only a human being can have right. And I think it helps a lot, at least that's what I see with people who are using this type of te technology, it helps a lot with creative burnout. Because creative burnout in these jobs is a real thing and it's unnecessary. So it's almost like it's not replacing work, it's taking what's already kind of an un overburdened space and making it more manageable and making it more streamlined. And I love what you just said that like, 
AI can't understand strategy. So yeah. if there's an area where marketers are worried about AI coming replacing your job, get up on strategy because there will always need to be a decision maker for the, the machines. I mean, it's ones and zeros until we get to quantum computing. It's not like they can understand like human nuance, like you said. I mean, look, as much as I love AI and I think AI tech generation is fabulous, ultimately it is a dumb machine that is predicting a probability for the next word. And it can do that in a way that now sounds really human and, and quite amazing because the training sets are better, the computing power is better, and all of those things are better, but it doesn't know anything as such. Right. I mean, that that's right. It, and, and it's something I think to 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 remember when we when we kind of like think about AI, it doesn't really know anything. These are models of probabilities mm -hmm. and um, they have a limited amount of context. Obviously, the more context, the better. But there's only so much context you can give them. Strategy is all about context, context and decision making. Yeah. And that's so great. And it, you just brought up another thing is like we can trick ourselves to thinking, you know, it's like when a dog does something, it's like, oh, he thinks he's human. Yeah, but he, it's, I love dogs. They're the great, but like, he's not human. He doesn't know no, he wants the when you say da, 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 da. Exactly, he wants the truth. <laughs> um, that's a really good way of putting it. So to kind of pivot a little bit, we've seen in the past that one technological advance can kind of beget another technological advance. It can make something that wasn't possible, possible. Uh, and in the AI scene, we've seen this a few times. Is there something that you think AI language generation at this level, is that, do you think that's going to open the door uh, or, and beget other technology in the AF, AI space? And if so, what kind of technology can you see coming from the ability to do this? So that's an excellent question. I am sadly a very, very bad, bad futurologist. I'm if I say so myself, I think reasonably good at time to market for, you know, any particular technology and uh, or, or you know, or offering or whatnot. I'm very, very, very bad at kind of like, you know, and in 10 years, uh, we are going to have uh, flying saucers uh, and uh, <laughs> they're going to talk to us and recite poems. Um, I uh, I'm kind of really not sure what I do think that, um, you know, possibly, possibly, hopefully this will, uh, this will help with that. I mean, you know, this is a hope, okay. Not, not mm -hmm. anything else. Of course. But yeah. There is a lot of, um, there is a lot of work that has been done in the past years, uh, decade ish that is starting to come to fruition around helping people who have no ability to speak. For example, people who are uh, paralyzed or even people who are in, you know, deep comas to kind of look at their brain patterns and brain waves and translate that into language. And that is starting to show some uh, real results, real promises. Um, that would be really fantastic, especially is if, as it seems from some of these uh, studies and, and um and kind of research that I looked at, um, it seems that quite a sizable amount of patients who are in the in coma actually are able to think sentences. My goodness. 
So, you know, that, that is a hope again. Mm -hmm. No, I love it. And that's such a, it's a great, it's a great hope, but yeah, just, I just love the real thing of AI is when you kind of expand beyond like the messaging or the work it can get done and things like this that can really uh, make a a, a sea change in humanity. Like that's really just, and I know it's a hope we know it's not a, it's not a full on uh, prediction like your other one of the poetic talking (laughs) flying saucers. Oh yeah, that 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 uh, you that heard it here money first. on that one. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first. 2032. The Beyond Profit Podcast is part of ANA's Center for Brand Purpose. Host Ken Bo Yu serves up inspirational and insightful interviews with today's foremost leaders in the purpose movement. This podcast will help you learn about the power of purposeful marketing and why being a force for good can be a game changer in a competitive marketplace. Check out ANA.net slash podcast for more. That is just incredible to think that even now the the, the technology, like, you know what I mean? It's not even that it's uh, fully theoretical now and maybe in 10 years they'll have some working things that they are starting to do the work and starting to see some results. That's just incredibly exciting. I really encourage you to look it up, Google it. Uh, it's uh, it's it's really quite incredible. I will, I will. I've got an entire weekend ahead of me. I will, uh, I will get to Googling. So we've kind of talked about what the, you know, opportunities around AI are, what a, a really, really exciting possible future for AI could be. Um, but all is not perfectly rosy and wonderful in the uh, world of AI. Um, we've seen uh, some kind of growing concerns about the threat of bias that could inherently be baked into AI systems. I'd love to just get your opinion on that. That's a really, really uh, important subject, especially if you're thinking about AI being used more generalistically in uh, consumer-facing applications. You know, in and and somehow potentially confused with uh, you know actual human speech without having the filter of a person looking at it and then putting it online. If you think about how are these systems built, ultimately what these systems are is an engine that calculates probabilities that is trained on data sets and you know, those data sets become larger with time and those data sets have to have certain criteria, they have to be labeled, etc. So it's like, you can't just train it on anything. And then from there, they learn, and then they learn what is context, and then you refine what is their probability kind of calculation capability. Now, what they're trained on is really essential for them to understand what is the probability for the next word, right? And so we really do need, I think, to, um, as a society, really, think about the fact that these systems are now here. They are part of the technology. We need to think about what is appropriate usage of these systems. What are standards for these systems? what what you would have to train them on and what is acceptable and not acceptable. Currently, this is completely self-regulated. And obviously, things kind of like, you know, come up randomly as people experiment, and they're sometimes quite ugly. I remember 
Well, I think Microsoft, somebody wanted to make an AI Twitter bot. And uh, I think within like 12 hours of it going live, because it was just learning on what it was interacting with, it was calling people Hitler. Like within 12 hours, I mean, Twitter is a bad place to launch a, 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 an AI, you know, Any one of us. And I mean, you know, I'm not on social media, um, but I'm, I value my mental health too much. I was about to say, that's such a good idea. That's such a good idea. Um, You're not missing anything. But if, but if you look at some of what is on social media, you can understand why training an AI on that content is going to have questionable results. Yeah, and I think that's if one you, thing. If you that, don't yeah. do that in a way where you filter, you like you you put a lot of work, a lot of time and money into training it in a way where it it starts understanding what content is actually uh, desirable versus what content is something that we don't want to reproduce. Yeah, it's so interesting because like in on one hand, yeah, it is a dumb machine and it always will be. But on the other hand, you have to raise that machine right. You have to oh, yeah. literally be responsible in what you're giving it um, because yeah, it doesn't know right from wrong. And if you give it, if you let it reinforce the it wrong thing- it yeah. doesn't have opinions. It doesn't know anything. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, machine learning is is designed to get better at something the more it happens. And if the more, if, you know, if the something is bad, um, it is just going to escalate and kind of spin out of control. So yeah, responsibility, you know, train your, train your AI well. Come on. And the more generic you go, the more difficult it is, right? AI typically performs better in, uh, in um, constrained tasks. The more constrained the context, the more constrained the task, the better your AI is going to be. If you want to do something generic, that becomes, you know, truly expensive and difficult. Um, kind of going along the lines of training against bias in AI, Katrin, I'd love to get your thoughts in general on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay, well, I mean, I'll be honest, my thoughts are kind of summarized in it's about time. Amen. That, that, I mean, that's kind of like the summary of what I think about it. Really? It's about mm -hmm. time? Um, yeah, yeah. Sadly, a lot of work to do. And yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of work to do on every level. And, uh, and I think the ever important work to do on an everyday basis as an individual in your own attitude, in your own uh, thought process, is in your own behavior. Um, the ever work, you know, important everyday work. Uh, but you know, not only that, there's regulatory work, there is awareness work, there is uh, work on the narrative. Um, but yeah, it's about time. Yeah. Yeah, you really think about how other areas of the world and society and civilization have advanced and it's 2022 and we're dealing with things that we should have sussed out a, a millennia ago. Um, we didn't. Yeah, no. No, but <laughs> we, we didn't. didn't. So, Katrin, we've kept things civil. We've, uh, you know, kept the, kept the questions uh, to, I think I've been a pretty nice host so far. You're amazing. Oh, stop. 
I was, I was, I was fishing for that one. Um, but we're about to get really serious. We're about to get really, mm-hmm. really, 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 really serious. Okay, existential Catherine, subject here. Ready? Yeah, I oh, am yeah. ready. Okay. Catherine Ibent, angel investor, flying saucer predictor. What is your favorite album of all time and why? <sighs> that is a cruel question. Yes, it is. That is just cruel. Um, okay, so I'm going to go with um, Serge Gainsbourg, which uh, Serge Gainsbourg is a uh, French singer. He's dead. He's been dead a very long time. Uh, very controversial, I suppose, um, but uh, um, really quite amazing. He's been active for over 30 years. Uh, and the album I prefer in his discography is called um, L'Histoire de Melody Nelson, which basically uh, translates in the story of Melody Nelson. Uh, it's a concept album from 71. Uh, there weren't that many concept albums at the time. And I was about to say, yeah. It's it's a very, uh, uh, you know, I would say a very inappropriate uh, 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 story of, uh, um, of a young lady uh, through a musical journey uh, that takes you uh, like across the entire album with um, amazing poetry and uh, just his incredible interpretation. It is probably my, if, if we're talking about an album. Yep. It is my favorite album. Ah, love it. What kind of, what's the genre of music? So, you know, it's 71, it's France. So it's kind of this like soft-ish, unclassifiable pop rock-y thing of the time. There is a really- I need to listen to this. Oh, you really do. You absolutely do. Yeah. If Um, you've never listened to it, it is, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, WhatsApp it to you. It is. It is. It is quite something. Even if you don't understand French, it is quite something. Oh, I, I listen to. I that's never stopped me before. Come on. <laughs> no, but I mean the oh, words. Oh, and, and the, the the lyrics are are really worth it. Like the words and the way they put together. Like you know, it's it's mm. quite it's quite amazing. Well, I'm going to be googling um, brainwaves and listening to Serge. Uh, this weekend, you, you're setting me all the way up. I really appreciate <laughs> this. Um, so, uh, Katrin, um, before we go to our, our last question and kind of, you know, kick, a fun little way to, to kick into the weekend, um, if people are interested in what you're doing and maybe want to work with you or maybe want to show, you know, are active in this space, is there a way to get in touch with you? I'm on LinkedIn. That's, that's really the only thing I'm on and I respond to uh, because it's professional and, you know, there's no way to comment. <laughs> yeah, you don't doom scroll <laughs> through LinkedIn. There's not, you don't just go no. like, oh <laughs> my goodness, what's, no, 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 no. no. That's a pretty no and I don't post. It's like, literally, you just have to message me on, on LinkedIn. All right. Get in those DMs, folks. Uh, well, don't, unless you have a very good reason to contact my friend. You're gonna be, or I'm gonna be getting into your DMs. You do not want that. Um, so, Katrin, before we let you go, uh, let's bring it up to the present. Is there anything you're listening to now, whether it's an artist, a song, a podcast, maybe a book you're reading? What's keeping you interested now? 
Um, I'm very interested currently, although this is not something I would do myself as an angel, but there's a, a, a real kind of like a real boom in uh, um, climate change uh, investment and technology. And so I'm, uh, I'm you know, climate change is, is obviously, I mean, in my opinion, uh, the number one threat for humanity, that and the nuclear threat. But like climate change is, it's not a question. Cosine. It Cosine. is not a question. Yeah. It is there. And so uh, we're going to have to do things about it. Lots of things on lots of levels. And one of the levels is finding solutions. Um, so I am listening religiously to the Sunday segment um, on the This Week in Startup from uh, Jason Kalkanis because they have a segment on investing in uh, in um, in that space that's really interesting and then um for you know on a lighter note um we share some nerdy musical you know uh yeah oh yeah this, right so uh you may not know this about me but what she I means is we're both very cool <laughs> Go ahead. right and young <laughs> Um, I, uh, I have a, a love of uh, Mongolian throat singing. So obviously, you know, I sing, I mean, not that I don't do mm. Mongolian throat singing myself no, you can't yet. can't do the double voice yes. thing? Okay. One day, Ooh. one day, one day, I'm not desperate that okay. I won't be able to actually do that at some point. Uh, but I'm currently, uh, listening to Batsarik Vanchik, which is a, a very prominent Mongolian throat singer. And he sings with his daughter. Oh, that's really, that's yes. kind of, that's super wholesome. I love yes. that. That's heartwarming. Um, Katrin, A, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, but this has been so great. I am so glad uh, that we got to have this talk around AI and kind of the things that are possible. And anytime you want to come back, you are always welcome on the Thank Marketing you. Futures podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mike. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Marketing Futures Podcast. Have an idea for a topic or guest for a future episode? Shoot us a note at marketingfutures at ana.net. Be sure to subscribe to the Futures Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And as always, if you're looking to get smart on the future, point your browsers to ana.net slash futures.